0: Hey y'all, my name is Eric. I'm the lead pastor at Emmanuel in Hookshead. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast. Our goal is to be a blessing to everyone who listens as you continue on your journey of faith. It's also our hope that you'll be encouraged to find a church to belong to so you can plug into that congregation and bless others with the gifts and experiences that God has entrusted you with. Well, I hope this podcast is a blessing to you and encourages you to get out there And be the blessing. Church, what is the church? We're going to look at Matthew chapter 16. And uh, this will be a challenge for both Cliff and I today. (laughs) Matthew chapter 16. If you have your Bibles, open them. If you have your apps, open them. Uh, And let's let's read along together. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, Am. And so they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you Simon Barjona for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And so the next slide is going to kill you, it's review. So listen, don't glaze over, don't fall asleep, we're going to run through this really quickly. If you've missed the last several weeks, I'm just going to give you some quick bullet points, and I want to challenge you to do this. Go on to our YouTube page, youtube.com slash Emmanuel Hooksit. And uh, you can find these sermons online, you can play catch up, or or you can go on our podcast. Our podcast has most of our sermons updated the week of, uh, and so you can go on our podcast and you can catch up through that. It's on Apple, it's on iHeart, it's on Spotify, and so whatever your favorite platform is should be covered. Review. First of all, the local church, the local church is uh, relational. The local church is relational organized, and and, um, I'm on review, buddy. Uh, The local church is organized, and this is something that we're pushing back against some false teaching, and I'm going to explain to you, hopefully, as we get going, why it's important that the lead pastor of your church addresses false teaching, and there's some serious false teaching that's going on that's pushing back against organized religion. It speaks of organized religion with this disdain. Uh, and we're finding it in younger generations, right? Millennial, Gen Z, some of those younger generations, Gen X even, is is done with organized religion because, and listen, there's some reasons. They've seen so much garbage in organized religion. However, because there's garbage in organized religion doesn't make organized religion ungodly or unbiblical. It just means stay away from the garbage. Can I get an amen on that? Listen, uh, just because... Um, uh, talk to some teenagers that have had some boyfriends or girlfriends that have done them wrong. Anybody as a teenager have a girlfriend done you wrong? Raise your hand. Uh, you don't have to raise your hand, but uh, how about if you've had a boyfriend done you wrong, right? Uh, and, and the temptation when you're really young is to say, well, all, all women, all girls, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, Stink. All girls are losers. All, go- or, all girls are horrible because their experience with one girl was bad, right? You follow? When you're a teenager, sometimes your mind takes you down that rabbit hole or a girl says, all men are pigs. All guys are losers. All guys are jerks, right? Because they had an experience with one, two, maybe even three guys, right? Well, that, that generalization is false. And if we allow ourselves to go down that rabbit hole, our lives become miserable because we begin to walk through our lives with a false worldview, that 50% of the population are losers, right? Well, this is what's happened to the local church. There's a lot of local churches that are fantastic, that are amazing, but because of the prominence of a few local churches, a few evangelists, a few pastors that have been abusive, or, or uh, thieves, or, or, or churches that have been abusive, uh, churches that have turned into cults and things like that, these generations are labeling organized religion as evil. But God has organized his church. And I want to I warn you guys be careful you don't fall for that false thinking. Be careful you don't become disdainful of God's way because a few people have abused God's way. You follow? So, in review, uh, the local church is organized. It's very clear as we went through scriptures that God has an organizational structure to his churches. He has leaders, sub leaders, those that follow. He has people that are sent out of his churches for ministry. It is an organization ordained by God, it's relational. We talk about relational relationships. Arguably, the most important part of our lives is relationships. The most, I mean, as important, I think, as sustenance, food and and water, is relationships. What what worth is a life without relationships? Friendships, right? Not just friendships, you have marriage relationships, child-to-parent relationships, and you have your church family relationships. Church is relational, and we saw as we walked through these scriptures, again, I want to challenge you to go back and, and watch those sermons and And I warned you, and I'll keep warning you, uh, that just because something sounds spiritual, and just because someone uses a passage of Scripture doesn't mean it is spiritual. People, and especially Satan, and he is real, and he is an enemy, and he has thousands, if not millions of demons to do his bidding, they can take the Word of God, and they can twist it. As a matter of fact, Peter, the apostle, warned us that there are people that rest the Scriptures, they take them out of context, they twist them to use them to be abusive to those that are supposed to be under their, and it's a capital C, their care, right? Leaders are supposed to care for those that are under their charge. Membership is biblical. They gather together, they gather together apart. In other words, they had smaller gatherings of the larger church, right? That's why we have our small group ministry, we call it Bible Life Circles, right? They they gathered together corporately. They met together on uh, the Solomon's porch at the at the temple complex because they had such a giant crowd of church people, and then they met together in homes and, and they they fellowshiped together. They ate together. They they sang together and they prayed together. We noticed as we began to dig into organization organize, organized church that the church had recognized leadership roles and there were qualifications. And responsibilities for pastors and teachers. They were to be experienced and mature in the faith. They were to provide oversight for the church. They were to shepherd the church. And last week we looked at deacons and their role and their responsibility to care for the material and physical well being of the body of Christ and the property that God has blessed us with. And now we're going to jump to Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 11. Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 11. Begin reading with me. Uh, He himself gave some to be apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come into the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine. And this is what I was just talking about, right? By the, by the trickery of men in cunning craftiness and deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ Christ from whom the whole body joined and knit together by that which every joint supplies, that every joint is a member of that local church, right? According to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. And now, so what we're gonna talk about this morning is the responsibilities of the membership, the responsibilities of the membership of our local churches. Uh, this, is, this word responsibility is something that a lot of people like to shirk today. They don't like to think about responsibility. They don't want to belong to something that's going to hold them accountable to something. Right? And so we're going to talk about this, and I hope that you'll walk with me through these scriptures, that you will, you will hear with open ears, and that God will give you a, a blessing as we as a church continue to fulfill our biblical responsibilities. So the first thing I want to talk about is the church's relationship with her pastor. And I want to say this, without a proper relationship with the church, uh, and without a real proper relationship with the pastor, the church and the pastor cannot perform their duties. Without a proper relationship, the pastor can't perform his duties, and the church can't perform hers. Uh, it's a sad thing to see a pastorless church. Uh, I think I shared with you a while ago, there's a church down in West Virginia I love dearly, and the pastor was called away to California. Uh, and I think they took two years searching for a pastor. And in those two years, they had some really great men on staff. My brother-in-law, Troy, was one of them. And, but they were, they were missing that under-shepherd. They were missing, missing that, that lead pastor to guide the ship, to provide the vision in the direction under the headship of Christ. And it was a tough two years for that church. A very difficult two years for that church. And so I want to challenge you, church, that our relationship must be healthy. We've got to look out for each other. We've got to make sure that we're performing our responsibilities well on both sides of this thing. And so, if you would turn to Hebrews chapter um, 13. Beginning in verse 17, Obey those that have the rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Pray for us, for we are confident that we have a good conscience in all things desiring to live honorably. But I especially urge you to do this, that I may be restored to you the sooner, Now, may the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever, amen. And I appeal to you, brethren, bear with the word of exhortation. For I have written to you in a few words, know that our brother Timothy has been set free with whom I shall see you if he comes shortly. Greet all those who rule over you and all the saints that those from Italy greet you. Grace be with you all. Amen. Well, this next word is one that many people are incredibly uncomfortable with, and it's a a word I'm uncomfortable preaching on. It's called submission. I do premarital counseling, and we get to Ephesians chapter 5, where it says, And wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. And, and it's always very uncomfortable, because submission uh, these days, certainly, and I think actually historically, submission is a dirty word. People look at submission as something that means inferior, right? Less than, but that's really not the case. It's just an order of the organization, It's just a different responsibility that people have. You know, in the homes, children are certainly to submit themselves to their parents. That does not make a child of less value than their parent, does it? Uh, I was reading something on Facebook. It was incredibly silly. Somebody was talking about uh, disciplining their children, and they had a complete lack of understanding of what biblical discipline is. Uh, and, And it was really sad as I read their commentary on most likely what their experience of discipline was. It was all about parents controlling children and control freaks. And, and their idea of discipline was so far away from what God's plan for discipline is. Discipline is to help a child gain self-control so that they can be a healthy, functioning member of society. Discipline is not about a parent being a domineering control freak. It's about a parent raising a child who is healthy and has self-respect and respect for others and understands that consequences are real. Well, that's what submission provides in the home. It provides something similar in the church. It's a touchy subject, but the Bible says that a pastor watches out for the souls of the church, and it's probably one of the most frightening statements that I can possibly read being a lead pastor. People wonder why there are times, and, and I'll get into this in a few minutes, but there are times where the pastor must stand before the church and rebuke. The pastor must stand before the church and correct. The pastor must stand before the church and call out false doctrine and false teachers because I watch for your souls. And when I feel and I see and I hear the church embracing False teaching and false teachers. It is certainly my responsibility to call it out and to call it out sharply. Now, you all know me. I try to be as gentle as I can. When I first started pastoring, people were were confused because I wasn't beating you over the head constantly. Um, However, there comes a time where the pastor must sharply rebuke and must 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 oppose those that would rise up against the word of God. And so, this is why I preach messages that oppose false teaching. This is why at times there's confrontational preaching. Because I've got to watch for your souls. Okay? You all follow? Are you with me now? All right, let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14. So submission is in spiritual matters. Uh, I'm going to jump into this in a minute, but I'm going to hit this early. This pastor is not going to tell you what kind of property to buy, what not to buy, what person to marry, whether you should get this car or that car. This pastor is going to preach the Word of God. You follow? Listen, this is partly why people are so... uh, disdainful of organized religion, they think that the pastor is there to control every little aspect of their lives. I am not. I have this gift, and it's a gift to me and to you, and it's, it's, it's the Holy Spirit of God. And the Holy Spirit of God is your director in your life, right? However, when the pastor stands and speaks, thus saith the Lord, what the Bible says, You need to submit to that word of God as it is preached. And as far as the direction of the ministry of the church, the church cannot lead herself. The church is pastor-led, right? The church is not a democracy in the strictest sense of the word. The church is not led uh, by itself. It's led by a man that God places in that position. Thus, the word says, rule over you. You read it with me, did you not? three or four times in that passage, that the pastor has this authority given by God and confirmed by the church that this is the person God has called to this position. And he is held accountable, certainly, and we're going to get into that in a moment as well. But that's what submission is about. There are some committee-led churches, and my, my brother Tracy, in, in the beginning of his ministry, he uh, struggled in this in this power contest with four or five or six other people. Uh, even just to choose a VBS curriculum, he had to get approval by the church, essentially. And and as he grew in his in his pastorship, he began to realize this is backwards, and he changed that structure. And so now, when my brother chooses a VBS curriculum, he chooses the VBS curriculum. And the church submits to that. Now, let me clarify in this thing I'm a submission. I can already tell I'm not going to finish this sermon. Um, I have raised my children. 15, 20, good golly, 29. <laughs> now, they submit to their mom and dad. Can I get an amen on that? Uh, you've seen my kids. But now, I have raised them to push back at times what? Yes, because I want an individual who can be an individual. I want a person that can think for themselves because dad is not always going to be with them. Mom is not always going to be with them. And so I want to raise my kids so that they can ask the right questions and they can be critical thinkers. And there are times when they disagree with mom and dad. And so I make sure that I've raised them that, hey, listen, if you don't agree with us, You need to come and and challenge us. Talk to us. Now, there's some parents that think that's disrespectful. Listen, you can think what you want, but when my kids are out of the house, they're going to be able to take care of themselves and other people. And so they come to me with questions or confrontation and challenges, and they do it with respect. And after we have the confrontation and they realize they're wrong... They then then submit to what mom and dad said. Now, can I tell you that there's times that they've been right? I can't remember. We were in Florida or something with the kids, and Nate was upset with me about something. Imagine that. Um, We are so similar. I don't even know how we live in the same house anymore. But... You know, he went a day upset and didn't say anything to me. But later that night, I went up to talk to him to find out what was going on. And he confronted me about something that he perceived was whatever. And he was right. He was right. He was right. Don't let it go to his head. I think he's over at eKids. But he was right. So when we talk about submission, let me be clear, church. This is not roll over and be a carpet and don't ask questions and don't challenge and confront. But when you challenge and confront and the conversation is had and you, whether you've been brought to the place where you agree or not, at the end of the day, the buck has to stop somewhere. And we're not talking about sinful things. We're talking about direction. All right, you follow? Sinful things completely different. You would then go to our board of pastors and deacons and say, pastor, sinned against me. And then they sit on a disciplinary board and I am not part of that board because I'm under discipline. This is what our bylaws and our constitution says. So submission, not a dirty word, doesn't mean you're less valuable than the pastor, doesn't mean that you're less important, but it's necessary. It's necessary for order. And Paul said, let there be order in the church. Now, moving on to 1 Thessalonians. Now, we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. I want to talk about four reasons people resist allowing themselves to be led. Four reasons, I believe, people resist allowing themselves to be pastored or to be led. I want to recall you to that Facebook comment where, where the person says, uh, I, I don't follow any man. I follow God. I hope this helps. And of course, it's not helpful. But my perception of that person is one of four things, one of four things. First of all, in this passage of Scripture, he says, I exhort you, brethren, warn those who are, what is the word? What is the word? Un." ruly and so when we look at the four reasons the four reasons that people will not allow themselves to be led the first one is that they are they are unwilling unwilling to be led they are unruly they are rebellious they are as Korah was in the old testament you'll have to look it up yourself in the book of exodus Korah rebelled against Moses and said, I'm just as important as you are. I am a prince of Israel too. God doesn't just speak to you, he speaks to me. And he was what the Bible would refer to as unruly. He was rebellious. He was unwilling to be led. They don't like folks like this that that refuse to submit to spiritual authority in their lives. Listen, they, they don't even like qualified people to be over them in the Lord. The original sin is pride. Satan, the original sinner, said, I will be like the Most High God. I am just as good as my creator. And folks, that's, that's rebellion, and it's, it's still in our fleshly hearts, and if we're not careful, it, it bursts forth in rebellion against our leaders in our local church. It, it, it bursts forth in rebellion in our homes It bursts forth certainly today in rebellion in society. They are unwilling to be led. They don't care how qualified the leader is. They don't care how uh, charismatic the leader is. They don't care how skillful the leader is. They don't even care how called and ordained the leader is. No one is ruling over me, period. Right? And so what what does Paul say? He says, warn, warn those who would be unruly. Warn those who would be unruly. Second is the faint-hearted, the faint of heart. Um, This is, well, let's get into it. Comfort the faint-hearted. Comfort the faint-hearted. Folks, those people are not, they're not rebellious in a classical sense. They're just afraid to commit. They're afraid to commit. They're afraid to get hurt. They're faint hearted. And, and, and the Bible doesn't say, beat on the faint hearted. It says, comfort them. Bring them along. Put an arm around them. Show them it's a safe place. Show them that, that this is okay to do. You follow? Comfort the faint hearted. The, the next one is the weak. The next one is the, the weak. He said this, um, he said that we are to, we are to <clears throat> be swirled, and it went through the leadership, and the whole church was roiling and boiling about what this kid supposedly had, had done, and, and they wanted to find a church where they could kind of start over, and they, and they came up into my office, and, and I said, well, listen, man, I know that you've been hurt, they were weak, Listen, all I want you to do is, is just sit in the back and catch your breath. Just sit in the back and, and breathe. Catch your breath. And she said, well, no offense, but I don't, I don't trust you. I don't trust any pastors. How would you feel if somebody said that to you? And you were the pastor. How would you feel? Uh, unfortunately, I've seen too, too much of that. I've seen too, too much of that. And so I I just said, well, I understand. I understand. Because he said, we're supposed to be patient with those that are weak, wounded, weary, patient with them. And I said, well, all I can tell you is that we're different. Emmanuel is different. And we will prove ourselves to you. Just give us a chance. And it became a beautiful relationship. And I watched them grow and be restored to ministry, and they were serving. It was wonderful, folks. But that's how we're supposed to be with the weak. We're not supposed to handle the weak in the same way that we would handle the unruly. You see what God has given us for a template here? Warn the unruly, right? Comfort the faint-hearted, but be patient with the weak. Take time with them. Give them the time they need as they grow stronger and as they heal in some cases, which brings me to the Fourth reason that I believe people struggle with this area of submission. In your Bibles, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse number 19. Do not receive an accusation against an elder except, for, except from two or three witnesses. Now, if you remember a few weeks ago, we talked about pastor, elder, bishop, overseer, right? It's the pastor of the church. Uh, do not receive an accusation against a, an elder except with, from two or three witnesses. For those, those who are sinning, rebuke in the presence of all, that the rest also may fear. Uh, and, and now he's talking about taking a pastor who has fallen into public sin, taking him to task and rebuking him before all, that others, the rest, also may fear. The rest of Who? Say it again. Not the congregation. Other leaders may fear. That other pastors may fear. That other pastors may hear about this and go, whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't want that to happen to me. I had best be careful. You follow? Tracking with me? Now, there's a reason why he says don't receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses, because elders are constantly under a spiritual barrage. And we're not to just take every single accusation from one person willy-nilly and just hammer the man of God, but when there's two or three witnesses, that man needs to be brought up and this investigation needs to occur, right? Uh, Questions need to be asked, okay? Okay. And if it's ascertained that there is wrong that has been done, he must be rebuked. Now, rebuking a pastor doesn't mean that he cannot be restored, but it means that he has been rebuked and had an opportunity for reconciliation and restoration. Remember we talked about relations, relationships, confrontation. The aim of confrontation is what? Restoration. Let's go on the shepherd the flock of god first peter chapter 5 verse number 2 talking to pastors shepherd the flock of god which is among you serving as overseers and this is important not by compulsion but willingly not for dishonest gain but eagerly this is the attitude a pastor must have and then he goes on he says this nor as being lords over those entrusted to you but being examples to the flock now I got some people nervous when I said I'm not always going to be here and when you choose your next pastor these are the things you need to look for I'm going to keep saying it because it's true when my time is done I don't want this church to fall into the hands of someone that would abuse her the fourth people the fourth category we'll go on likewise younger people Submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another, right? And be clothed with humility for God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. So the next category, that fourth category of people that that. Just struggle with this idea of submission, right The first one is that they 're unruly they 're unwilling to be led. The second one is they 're faint hearted they 're nervous they 're scared right The third one is they 're just weak and they need patience to be brought along and understanding and and, and then the, the fourth one ties to the last two and, and I believe that it 's those that have been those that have been um, hurt those that have been hurt the leader is the leader is bad the leader is bad so I read those passages of scripture so you could see what to do when your leader fails you what do we do when the leader fails us we confront we rebuke How do we know what a good leader is? We look at those qualifications in Titus and 1 Timothy chapter 3. We look at the qualifications in 1 Peter chapter 5. We look at the qualifications found in Acts chapter 23. We see what we should be looking for in a leader. Right? We observe what we should be looking for in a leader. These, These people that that have a hard time submitting have been hurt. They've been hurt. As I started the sermon and I talk about a boy that's hurt by a girl and that means all girls are bad, right? Uh, These people have fallen into this trap where one leader has hurt them and so all leaders are bad. And I've had to struggle through that in my pastorate when I was up at Lighthouse and we planted a church. Uh, My wife and I planted a church up in um, Panacook. Uh, And we were trying to rent a space uh, above the police station, the old Bosco and elementary school. Uh, And I went in there to meet with the town selectmen, and 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 they were were pretty cool. And then there was this one selectman who had been hurt by a Baptist preacher. His brother-in-law had lost a lot of money to this Baptist preacher, had given his property to this Baptist preacher, and this Baptist preacher was dirty. I'm not going to give you his name. I'm just going to tell you, flat out, this guy was a mess. He was a mess. I knew who he was. And he looked at me, and similar to that, the lady that came to our church several years later, completely unrelated, but this man looked at me, and he was very specific. He said, you're a Baptist preacher? I don't trust you. Now, I was not as mature as I was when the lady confronted me, but I was still in the hand of God. And it was amazing that God just gave me this self-control because it was all God because I just wanted to reach across the table and grab him by the throat. In love, correct him. Uh, And I, I simply said the same thing I said to this woman years later. Well, I will prove you wrong. And we did. And we were faithful in paying our rent all the time that we were there. We were excellent tenants and And God blessed our church in that space. We actually got the space. Um, This guy had experienced a bad leader and to him, that meant all Baptist leaders are bad. Is that a great way to live your life? Is that a great worldview? I've been stabbed in the back by people in my church. Can I tell you that? Can I just be honest with you guys? It hurts, it hurts when a church member stabs me in the back. Uh, I know you all think that, Honestly, I have a really short memory, Um, probably because of COVID. No, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, I I try not to let things stay with me. But if, if someone broke my trust, hurt me, stabbed me in the back, lied about me, it's all happened. And I said, okay, that means all church members and all leaders are bad. What kind of a life would I be living? What kind of a ministry would I be leading? Constantly suspicious of everyone around me. Folks, that's not a godly way to live, but that's the fourth category of people. And to you, all I can say is, we will merit your trust. In the passages that we read today, we also want to go back to Hebrews, and all the way back to Hebrews, um, where he said something about being honorable. Honorable right? Obey them that have the rule over you, uh, as they that watch for your souls. Let them do it with joy, not with sorrow, for that's unprofitable for you. And then verse 18, he said, pray for us, for we are confident that we have a good conscience in all things desiring to live honorably. That is a pastor's heart. That is what a pastor should be striving for. Back to merit. We need to merit our position. Now, there's some people that they treat the church like the military, and they say the pastor is a higher rank. And if you don't like the pastor, just look at the bars on his shoulder or whatever it is, stripes on his arm. Folks, a pastor should merit the position that he has been blessed with. The pastor should merit the position that he stands in. Now, you don't have to like my personality. That's absolutely true. Not everybody likes my personality. Sometimes I don't even like my personality, but, but if a man is called to be a pastor and he stands in that position of leadership, he should merit that position of leadership. He should be an honorable man. He should not be lording over God's church, and he should be an example to that local church. He should be an example to that local church. And so this is what you are looking for when you look for a pastor. And those of you that have been hurt and you're like resisting this, all I can challenge you is to to take off your blinders and to look past your hurt and ask yourself this question, is it reasonable for me to assume based on my past that everyone else is gonna hurt me? Now, I'm going to get into a counseling session right now. But, folks, this is, this is something that's handicapped a lot of Christians in a lot of churches. A lot of people struggle with this idea of submission because they've been hurt. And since they won't submit, they become spiritually stunted in their growth. Why do I say that? Because God has given you pastor-teachers. Remember, we went to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. What? For the equipping of the saints. That's the job of your spiritual leader is to equip you and to prepare you for ministry. But if your heart is hard against it and, and is, is rebellious against it because you've been hurt, you need to reevaluate and allow God to heal those hurting places. A pastor should be an honorable man, and, and Peter warned these pastors not to be, not to be lording over God's Heritage not to be lording over God's church, we are servant leaders. And he, he challenged them to all, every single one of them, not just not just those that were younger, but every single member of that church to live with humility wrapped around them. This is why when I mentioned about my children raising them to say, "Hey, wait a second, Dad, what about this? Wait a second, you said this and you did this, or wait a second. Um, I have to be clothed in humility even in my own home so that I can hear what others are saying to me. Are we all together on this? Well, let's drop down, brother, if you could, to share the gospel. Cliff's looking for it. Share in the gospel ministry. As we, as we have the, the worship team come forward, I mentioned a moment ago that the pastor's responsibility to the church is to equip you. The church's responsibility to the pastor is to submit, to follow, to support. We're going to get into support next week and some other areas that the, that the uh, membership is responsible for in the relationship with the pastor. But right now, I want to, I want to remind you and encourage you In Ephesians 4.11, he said the pastor's job is to equip the saints for the ministry. This is why we have our small circle groups. This is why we have preaching and teaching on Sunday. And then one other way that we're equipping you, and I'm going to end here, is with trunk or treat. You're saying you planned that. I absolutely did not plan that. But the event is one of the ways that we equip the ministry of the saints so that you can participate in outreach in reaching people for Jesus, not only by providing a trunk or security or parking, but by inviting people that have kids to come get on the property, get to know some of the people that are here. And as they go around the trunks, there'll be chances of conversation. And and I'll be floating around with, and Peter will be floating around with uh, opportunities to share the gospel with these people. And they'll get invitations and church tracks and things like that, folks. We are giving you an opportunity. We are giving you the equipment that you need to share in the gospel ministry. That's just one way. Christmas is coming. Christmas is coming. The Compellers are hard at work at their Christmas play, and we're going to have a Christmas Eve worship service. Christmas Eve worship should be one of the biggest outreach events in our church where we invite people to come on out to our candlelight service on Christmas Eve for a brief A brief time of worship and and ministry. We equip you for the gospel ministry by giving you events, by giving you teaching, by by giving you training. And one last thing, when the last slide comes up, I want to remind you that God is still building His church. He started all the way back in Matthew, where we started this morning in Matthew 16. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, He's still building his church. And, and this last phrase for you this morning, this last phrase has changed over the last few weeks. Each week it has another layer. It's like an onion. First of all, will you trust Jesus for the salvation of your eternal soul? That's what this is about. That's what Casey did uh, several weeks ago. He came to a place where he recognized that that he was a sinner by choice and, and by birth, and that he needed Jesus for the forgiveness and the cleansing of his sin, and that he had tried to turn over a new leaf and try to work harder and be better. But it was only in Jesus that he could have eternal life. Even though Casey had his life together, he recognized there was an eternal aspect. And Jesus Christ is the son of the living God, as Peter said, and, and he went to the cross And he died on the cross to pay the penalty that we all owe. The past, present, and future sins in our lives were nailed to Jesus on the cross. And then three days later, he rose from the grave so that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Will you trust Jesus this morning? For your eternal soul, your soul will be in one place or another And the only way for you to have a certainty of a home in heaven is by asking Jesus to be your personal, one and only Savior, not religion, not a church, not a man, just Jesus. Will you trust Him? For those of you that are members of the local church, will you trust Him and will you entrust your leadership to Him? Some of you've been hurt, you're struggling, will you say, Lord, I, I'm going to trust this leader because I'm going to trust you and that you will take care of him? Will you trust him as you serve in your local church? Will you trust him? Hey, all thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to know more, please go to our website, emmanuelhooksit.com, where you'll find helpful links and resources and where you can contact us directly. That web address again is emmanuelhooksit.com. Bless God, get out there, and be the blessing.